When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where do you want me? This one. I oh, see you've made a mistake here because this is the most comfortable chair in the office. Is it? Well, it's good. In- I bought this chair from London. You never did. This oh, chair wait. came from London and then it didn't suit our house. There was nowhere to put it in our house. It yeah. just wasn't. So I was like, oh, have you tried it? No. Try this out. You can okay. really regret choosing that chair. <laughs> I guarantee you. Why yeah, is, what's exactly. it got? It's just got a There's bit a of give. There's a slight spring in it. There's a slight spring in it. Well, you should enjoy kind it. Kind of a madman. You've got that long way. You've, oh. you've you've given that chair much love. That journey in was that's the worst drive I've ever had into work. You drive in. in every, you drive yourself in every day. Of course, yeah. yeah. But the, in in the four years that I've lived here, yeah, that's the most frustrated I've ever been in the car. <laughs> and all anyone says is how bad traffic is in LA. And I always go, it's all right. Yeah. And then that was terrible. It was horrible. How are you? You look so well. I'm all right. Yeah. I love this full beard. Do you like the full beard? Is this for anything or a it, choice? W- it did get used b- recently. She got used. <laughs> it got used. She got used, the beard. <laughs> and I've just hung on to it, but I might reboot. I might reboot the beard, take it off, let I the like skin it. breathe. I know, but now and again, you just think, you wonder what's going on under, under there. Have you yeah. ever had a real full one? No, I've never had a full beard. And if I clean shave, yeah. like I was shooting this thing in London a couple of weeks ago and I had to... Fully clean shave, and I look about twelve. Oh, that's I, nice, though. Nah, is it? I look like a very <laughs> chubby Milky Bar kid. <laughs> David Tennant does a podcast with James Corden. James, we first met, I think, in the bar of the National, National Theatre. Theatre. I was yeah. thinking about this yeah. in, on my way in. Early 2000s, probably. Would it have been 2000s? It would, I think it was, yes, it would have been 2003 or four. Yeah. Because you were in The Pillow Man. That's right. And we were in The History Boys. That's right. And I'd heard about you because everybody, quite a few of the actors that were in The History Boys were also in His Dark Materials. Oh, right. Which was running, because I think there was, was a slight crossover of just a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the Pillow Man and the History Boys, and everybody was like, oh, you've got to see this guy. Oh, yeah. and um, And no, I mean it. And then, yeah. Because didn't you do a reading of the History Boys? Didn't you do a play reading of it? I'll tell you about that one. We're not recording it. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 Why? Let's turn the tables. Why? No, what I happened? Can't... You no, did no. a reading of it, though. Loads of no, people I do readings I didn't, of plays. I didn't do a reading of it. No. No. Oh, that's what I heard. It's never going to make the cut. I heard you so done a reading you. and you were terrific. Yeah. No, I but would yes. have been terrific. Mm. Yes, and I can remember meeting you in the in the bar there yeah. up on the first floor. Yeah. yeah. I, it's not a journey as we now sit in your office in CBS as the host of The Late Late Show, your own Hollywood talk show. Not a journey in the bar of the National Theatre I would have then predicted. Well, not I would mean, I. I mean, not, yeah, no, I don't, yes, I don't know that. I don't think there's any other actors that these jobs are so sparse. I I think I can safely say I don't think anybody's been on stage at the National and then come and host the show. The only other person who has done is Brian Cranston because when my wife went into labour and we had our third child, uh, I called Brian Cranston and he had just finished in network on Broadway and uh, sorry, the National. Yeah. And hadn't opened on in New York yet. And I said, would you like to host the show tonight? And he said, uh, sure. So I think he might be the only other person. That's good. I think. Yeah. Which is not, I'd say That's that pretty company. good. Yeah. yeah. When you were a little boy growing up in Hillingdon, though, was there a sneaky part of you that thought, no, I'll end up, not, maybe not hosting the Late Late Show, but out here nearby? Was there part of you that thought, I'll end up in Hollywood, sure? I don't know what I thought I'd end up doing, really. I just knew I wanted to perform. That's all yeah. I really wanted to to do. That's that's the only memory I've got of wanting to do anything is just perform in some capacity. I remember incredibly vividly 
the first time I ever sort of was on a, a stage, for want of a better phrase, in front of people was my younger sister's christening mm-hmm. at the Salvation Army in High Wycombe. And we all went up onto the platform, which was essentially like a stage. And I remember looking into the congregation of people and thinking it was, it felt like it was 2000. It was probably 18 yeah. people. And the, uh, the the Salvation Army officer, the, the, the vicar really kind of got a chair and said, because I couldn't see, and stood me on this chair. Uh-huh. And then people kind of chuckled at that. And then I started kind of pulling faces and... I remember turning around. I was about four at the time, right. turning around and looking back through my legs. Do you know what I mean? Upside of the audience. And that got a laugh. And exactly. oddly, well, oddly, that's not the feeling I remember. I don't remember feeling, like, oh, this is great. What I remember is when the christening had finished, going back into the congregation and sitting between my mum and dad on a chair where I couldn't really see, staring at the back of someone who was sat in the, the row before me, thinking... Oh, well, this is boring by comparison. (laughs) And there was very much a moment of like, oh, up there, great fun. Mm. Down here, painfully ordinary. And from almost that minute onwards, it just became a quest to perform in whatever way I ever could. Because you're a very fine actor. You've you've, like we said, you've been at the National Theatre. You've been on all sorts of movies and all sorts. But you're also equally at home. It would seem being being yourself, being a host as well. Do you think that sort of dual career trajectory is something that's more understood out here in the States than it is at home? I don't know, really. I mean, for me personally, I sort of still see it all as a performance. Right. Like, I don't... So how much of the how much of the hosting The Late Late Show is... It, it, how much of that is you and how much of that is a piece of acting? Well, it's still the, the close... I, I, I would hope it's a, a close strain to yeah. me like I would hope that I'm someone that that kind of looks for the joy in in things and stuff you're not ever really being yourself like often I'm, I'm kind of quite quiet really if I'm not performing in any way I, I guess I still see it as like a, a piece of theatre in a way right. it's just I'm just playing this character that's called me and looks really like me. Yeah. And he's going to walk out of a curtain and I'm going to tell some jokes about Trump and then we're going to do a sketch or a bit or a thing or a song or whatever it is. And then yeah. I'm going to chat to some people. And it's, it's, uh, but I don't know if it's more understood because I was incredibly reticent about doing it. I felt very, very reticent about doing it because I love acting so much. Right. And I was like, will this. Will this absolutely destroy it? You know, because I felt like I'd kind of got away with it at home for a while. I'd hosted things like the Brits and I host like a, a sports show on sure. Sky, and I'd done like little bits of hosting, but but they were just small little interstitials, if you like. And then I thought, well, actually, this show can be whatever I sort of want it to be. My favourite days here are when we're doing like a sketch or a or a big silly sort of stunt where I'm playing some sort of character somehow. That's where I sort of am. I think happiest mm. on the show, and 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 I do think like well, I I don't know about when you came first came to Los Angeles, but the first time I came here on that sort of round of meetings that every actor does, where you kind of die of encouragement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. You get handed a tiny bottle of water, and someone tells you how great you are, and they can't wait to work with you, and yeah. then you never hear from them again. How long did it take you to realise it was all bullshit? Um, about five trips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But oh, they're really good at it. They're, oh, they're really good at convincing you. And I also don't believe they're lying. I think they mean it. I, I just right. think I think they mean it. But I just think when you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And yeah. you know. And it was then I sort of realised, oh, I'm going to have to generate my own work, which is kind of how I felt at home in a way for a long time. Which was like, no one's just going to sort of invite me to the to the table yeah. if you like. And but when I first came here, it was very much you were either a. a a theatre actor, a television actor or a film actor and there was really no crossover between the two. Television actors didn't do films and film actors didn't do television and now you're like, well, and you certainly didn't ever do commercials. Like That was just a given and now it feels like every film actor is hoping to get their big series on Netflix or AMC or whatever and and they're all 
desperate for their commercials. Like the, the lines are blurred more yeah. now. So did that and, make you think? Do you know what? I can. It's all part of the same game. Well, I just thought if it's good, it will travel. If it's good, if it's good, we'll be okay. If it isn't good, we'll probably still be okay. Yeah, it'll be cancelled within minutes. So yeah. you know, and that that was. I just sort of thought. I don't know. My feeling on 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 it always is like I, I'd always rather regret doing something than not doing something. I'd always rather go. Oh well, I I know why I did that. Yeah, I know why I chose to do that, and I know why it didn't work, or who who knows why it did work. You know, yeah. you're also know that though here though you're the head of a quite a large team. I mean, there's a sort of managerial aspect to being the host of a show like this, which is not something they have classes on in drama school. How does that sit with you? Um, in truth, a, a job a job like this, or or running a company, or anything, is that that that. The true skill is in the hiring. The true talent is the is finding someone, finding people, and not letting go of them. Right. Going right. I'm going to do everything I can to try and keep you here. And how can I, how can I make this a better place for you that you'll never leave? Because yeah. if you if you can surround yourself with those kind of with people who are really great at what they do, it actually becomes a lot easier. I think this job would be incredibly difficult if you were trying to micromanage every instance of it, it would be almost impossible because the truth is at a certain point of every day, you've just got to think about hosting it mm. and being on mm. and it and it hopefully being funny or at the very least interesting. So what you can't be doing is, you know, dealing with the fact that Michael has asked for a week off in in April. Right. And it's the schedule's changed and that's not going to happen and we really need him here because there's an edit for a carpool which is happening yeah. and if he's not here that carpool won't go out. You know, there's all those sorts of things that, right. which which you're involved in to a point but then another point you have to go well this is this is there's, there's, that's the reason there are so many people here. And and also I'm very fortunate that my best friend is a, a wonderful man called Ben Winston who we have a, a company together called Full Earth 73 with three other partners and I will always be indebted to him for making the leap to come here I mean he was going to come for six months to kind of get the show off the ground and I always hoped and prayed that we'd be I'd be able to keep him here somehow and thank God touch wood four years later he's still here and it you know he bought a house before I did so I'm very yeah I feel very confident (laughs) that that might be okay but he is um as much a reason for the success of the show as I am as is everybody else on the team you know it just so happens that it's just got my name in it but it's a real team effort sure yeah and a a relentless effort as well I mean you've got you you have to do a show every day of the week yeah it's a lot it's a lot it's it does yeah it's also a lot the way that we do it yeah yeah you don't take it easy no, I think if we just sort of chatted every day, it was sort of it would be easier. But then it wouldn't be easier because I'd be deeply frustrated by it. Mm. In fact, the days where I'm probably least happy with the show are the days where I feel like we've done a talk show that anybody could do. Right? You know what I mean? I the days that I love the most are the days where I go, oh, that's that's used all of the mm. clubs in my bag, if you like. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Those are the days where I'm sort of happiest and so but it is it is a lot but then at the same time there's a freeing aspect to doing that many shows because you there's another one tomorrow right and that's kind of the best and worst thing about it is there's another show tomorrow so you know there's you can't get too possessive about it the show doesn't start because it's ready it's five o'clock and that's when we tape it because it's on in new york in Three hours time, sure. So we got to do it now. And if it's not, it's like there's a feeling of like, well, there's another one, you know. And some days you miss, yeah. And you go, oh, we we'll get it tomorrow. And some days you really hit it, and you go, oh, we got to try and get it again tomorrow. Now we gotta start again, you know. And that's yeah. that's. Although we're very lucky that we make a show now in the age of the internet, which is means that if you do something, if you do something good people will find it. And that's the success of our show. The Mm. success of our show is, I don't know that we've particularly moved the needle much more than the last guy who was on or the guy that was on before that. Like, I think some nights we do and some nights, I don't really, in truth, I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many people watch our show on. on Do you know, are you quite relaxed about all that side of it? Well, I just don't don't think it's important. I don't think it's important at 12.30 at night. Like, 
you're you're essentially competing with people falling asleep. You're not <laughs> like there is no competition. Like, and if it's on, it doesn't mean it just means someone's left the TV on. You know, but I do know all of our sort of stats online. I do know like we're the fastest growing online sort of subscription television show in the history of like right. YouTube. So I know like all of those things, I know I'm watching those all the time because I think that's what our show is. That's where our show lives. Yeah. And that's where we'll gain any sense of relevance is on the internet. Because probably it was probably when Carpool Karaoke became a kind of viral internet YouTube thing. It really took off, I guess, for you, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, we, look, we, we, we were very lucky. Like we, we had just, you know, look, that's, that's a sort of idea. Did which... you know when you had that idea... We all sitting around in a room. Going, Let's do. I don't know. Singing in a car. Did you kind of go? Was there any point where you went? Oh, we've got it. This is it. Well, I can we've tell found you. Our USP. Well, I can tell you exactly. And I promise you, I'm not okay. joking. Okay. The, the, there's no embellishment of this story. We were sat in a conference room just over there. There was maybe six or seven of us in a room. Myself, Ben, Josie Cliff, who works on our show, Ian Carmel, and Lauren Greenberg, who are our head writers, and a, a couple of other people, and. These shows are about, um, like, what are the tent poles that you hang your show on? If you think of, like, David Letterman, you think of, like, top ten lists and mm. stupid Petrix or Jay Leno, it's jaywalking and a killer monologue, Jimmy Fallon, thank you notes and lip sync battles, Jimmy Kimmel, mean tweets. What are the things that we're going to hang our show on? Mm-hmm. And we felt like we didn't have that yet. We felt like we had some fun ideas, but we certainly didn't have a thing that was a thing. And we were talking for a long time and we were showing actually a couple of people on the team, like the sketches that Ben and I had done for for comic relief, the like Smithy sketches yeah, and sure. things like that. And we were like, you know, what can we do? All this stuff. And and then we played the bit with myself and George Michael singing in a car. We also played a sort of documentary that, that Ben and I had made about Gary Barlow where we also sung his songs in a car. Right. And then sort of between us, we were like, is there a, what if we were, what if we just pick up the biggest stars in the world and we drive around in a in a car and we sing their hits? That's interesting. But why, though? Why? And, and Ben was like, what if you need someone in the car to beat the traffic? And I was like, to use the carpool lane. And then I went, we could call it carpool karaoke. And we, this was about three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And we went, that feels like an idea. That feels like a thing. And I went, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> and I just went, I was like, that's it. I was like, I, I, I've, I've never been more sure of an idea ever. Ever. Right. That, really? And what I didn't know is that no one would want to do it. <laughs> what I didn't know is that we would ask every single recording artist on the planet and they would all say no. Initially. Which you understand because you're getting a call from a host you don't know, from a show which traditionally hasn't really travelled online or, or, or embraced kind of a massive sort of youth audience. And then you're saying, and then you're saying to a publicist, oh, and you won't be there. You'll be in a follow car. Yeah. And we'll be filming every single word. <laughs> and they were like, no, of course not. I mean, it was, it was so demoralising how many people said no. It was kind of, because I was like, this is a really good idea. Yeah. How is no one on board with this? Presumably lots of those people who initially said no have now all come begging well, it's a to, lovely be, to join yeah, in. It's very nice, particularly when you, yeah, it's, yeah, it is lovely. But obviously you'll say that lots of the artists never said no. It's of just, course. although never they would have done, them. they would have done, but all of their teams, publicists, managers, yeah. you know, but yeah, it, it's, yes, it, I mean, God, it's great. I mean, God bless Mariah Carey for, uh, for sort of taking a, a chance on it. Yeah. You know, uh, it was her manager was here. She'd come here with a band she wanted to book on the show oh. to, to, to show our booker because they'd never been on TV before. And I said, you look after Mariah Carey, right? I said, yes, yeah. will you come with me? And I played her the video of me and George on right. this, uh, right here. Right. And I was like, this is it. And she said, well, you know, Mariah's putting some new dates on in Vegas and we're looking for a thing. And I said, I said, look, we, you know, is there any... And then the next day it was, I should do it on Sunday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And then it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is good, you know. And yeah, God bless her. I'll yeah. always be grateful to her. But on your first show, you had you then had Tom Hanks, didn't you? Yes. You then had, yeah. and you did a you did like a uh, like a piece that had Schwarzenegger and Jay Leno and Meryl Streep, and so yeah. we, did you feel like the need to get that kind of? Oh, we knew that gang. We, well, it wasn't a gang. We just knew that. We just knew our first show or our first couple of weeks, really, but particularly we knew that our first show had to be great. Yeah. We were certain of that. Yeah. And then and then we, we just kind of went for it, and we did a big thing with Tom Hanks where we we reenacted his entire yeah. film career in about seven minutes, which is something we've, we've, we've yeah. subsequently gone on and done with different people. And then we did an opening sketch where we essentially just called in every favour we, we ever could yeah. find, really, to, to come and do... That but even that Tom speech. Hanks thing, it's it's brilliant. I mean, you do like all his movies in three mm. minutes, is it? And, it's and, a, yeah, it was like seven minutes, yeah, right? Like that. And I mean, you you don't just turn up and do that. You must have there must no. be planning and well, rehearsing. That was the and... best thing about Tom Hanks, really. So we called and pitched it, and then he said he would like to speak to Ben and not me about it, which is essentially his way of saying I'm on the fence about this. Okay, so I might say no. So I'm sat outside Ben's room, like, oh my god, please yeah. let him do that, you know, because he'd said yes to doing the show, but he hadn't said yes to doing anything particular. Mm. And uh, Ben talked him through it, and he said, okay, I'll do it. And then I got on the phone, so the three of us were on the call together, and and he said, look, if we're going to do this, we should do it properly, and I'll fly in the day before, and we'll rehearse it. Right. And you're like, oh my god, this is why you're this is why you're Tom Hanks. Yeah. And I kept saying to him the whole day we were rehearsing, I kept saying thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. And he said something, I'll never forget it. He said, James, this is show business. He said, and this is the trick. He said, you rehearse and you rehearse and you rehearse and you make it as great as it can be because the greater it is, the quicker you'll forget about it. He said, it's the stuff which you haven't rehearsed enough. It's the stuff which isn't great enough. That's the stuff you'll hang on to. He said, those will be the feelings that plague you. The things that aren't quite right are the things that will stick in your stomach. So actually, the more you give in rehearsal, the more you try and get it great, the quicker you can forget about it and free up your mind to think about something else. God bless you, Tom Hanks. And you're like, oh my God, you're completely right. Because I know you never sit down. You never, ever sit down and go, oh man, I was a great Doctor Who. (laughs) The stuff you think about is the stuff you go, oh, why, that could have been better. And and me too. And and that's what it is. And, and, you know, that's why he's Tom Hanks. Mm. You know, that's why. And he's, yeah, it's terrific. And yet, like you say, you have done versions of that since, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a musicals one with Lenormand. Yeah, we've done loads. But that's not easy when you're doing a show every day. I mean, that's a big thing to set yourself. That's what we love, though. Those are the challenges we love. Those are the the great days. Those are the days when you're going, oh, we're going to do something here. And if we make it really great, like there's, it's thrilling. It's yeah. thrilling that the next day waking up to feel like this has reached every corner of earth. Yeah. Like, like the day after that Paul McCartney carpool went out yeah. was just thrilling. It was like, you felt like, Oh my God, this is just this. We've, this is, this is more than a late night talk show mm. where everything about a late night talk show should be that it's disposable in a way. It's, it's, it's there and then it isn't. It's mm. on and then it's gone. It's actually the longevity of it is the only thing which remains. And we're like, the more we can do something where we feel like if only for a month mm. people will find it and talk about it and share it with their friends, that's when everybody here gets excited. Mm. 
And you've now gone, because you've done, yeah, you did that with Paul McCartney. You took him back to Liverpool. It was an amazing, amazing film. You had Michelle Obama. Mm. I mean, are you still getting starstruck by these people? Or are you now at the stage where you're like, these are the people I work with. This is what I do now. Well, I don't. Or did you know? Have you never been? No, well, I've never really been that starstruck by actors because I think I know what you do and yeah. I know it's ludicrous. Yeah. I know what your life is a lot of the time and mm. I know a lot of your t- life is spent in a caravan mm. in, sure. a, in a car park somewhere using a sort of small plastic toilet where you have to flush it with your foot with this sort of weird <laughs> blue water. Like whoever you are. Yeah. That, and also I know what your day is a lot of the time. Yeah. Like Brad Pitt's somewhere today and everybody thinks that it's an unbelievably glamorous life. Mm. But you, but I know and you know that his days acting today might be waiting around in a caravan mm. and his, his days acting might be getting out of a car. Yes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, Quite. I remember on Into the Woods, Emily Blunt and I had like a day and a half where our, our entire day was to grab each other and look up to the sky. Right. And then it was like, cut. Go and have a rest. We're going to change this lights. <laughs> Action. <gasps> Cut. Okay. Just, yep. We've just got to move something here. We've now got to pick it up because the green screen. And mm. so I don't really get starstruck by actors. I, I, I felt like doing it with Michelle Obama, I, I was aware we were doing something that was going to change the perception of our show. In mm, a way. Right, like right. to drive around the White House lawn with the First Lady and Missy Elliott, we never thought we'd be here this quickly. In fact, we never thought we'd be here ever, actually. Right. But but here we are. And so I guess I get in... I'm, I, I, I'm very much in awe of situations more than I am sort of... Are you able to, people. in those moments, to kind of go, I just, this is worth just locking away, this little moment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really try and cherish all of it, really. I'm so aware that that, like, this just won't be the case forever. So... I don't take a second of it for granted. I, I really, all of it, like sitting here with you, like talking about it in this, like it's it's all thrilling for me. I, I, I just, some days, genuinely, I find it all too much for my sort of heart to hold on to. Like, yeah. like I just, it, 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 I just think I don't, I don't know what I've done to deserve such memories. That's the truth of it. Because I feel like every day I'm like, this is just something I'll remember. And, I, and I'm not sure what I've done to deserve the level of memories to go, oh, you remember that time when? Right. You know, whether it's all of it, all of it. Presumably it now gets easier to ask crazily famous people to do all the more extraordinary things. Well, we, we don't get as many no's, but we do get quite a few of not this times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's not as simple as, you just pick up the phone and they go, yeah, when did you need me there? It's yeah. just, oh, they love it. It's just not this. Are you quite blasé about that? Are you quite good at rolling with it? Or do you get do you get frustrated? The only time I ever get frustrated, which is only really happens in sort of the walls of this office, is when I think I don't know if uh, publicists or, or press teams or things like that perhaps understand the best way for this to travel. Right. Like, that's the only time I, I, I feel any frustration. And you go, well, no, 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 I get it. And we'll do that. We'll do the thing you're after. But like I promise you, if you if you come an hour earlier, we'll do something that like six million people will see. Yeah, and there'll be a plug for the film. But you know, yeah. they get it. It's just it's just hard. It's it's yeah. a lot of shows. But we are a bit better now at just going. Well, look, we can kick that down the road. They'll they're going to be in another film. They'll come back around at some mm. point. You know. Do you ever kind of go? I can't ask so and so to oh, do yeah, that. All the time. Well, I very rarely make asks because I'm too... Do you let someone else do it? Well, I'm just too... My my ego is too fragile Okay. to deal with the silence. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, I just... I, I just... Uh, yeah, I couldn't... I couldn't... I couldn't... But most it. actors probably... And I speak for actors because you know they're the they're the, the breed I understand most. Would probably almost rather come and do something a bit daft. Yeah. Than... Well, if they're friends of mine, if they're people who I can count as like genuine friends. Yeah. But then there's a whole there's a whole middle ground here mm. where it's like, are we friends or are we just? Do I just know you? Are we just in just... Hollywood together? Yeah. So anyone out like so, you know, Emily Blunt, for example, who is what I would consider an absolute team player, mm-hmm. and. 
not only an incredible actress, one of the best people you could ever meet. We've spent, you know, four months together on a film set in Shepparton. So I do feel like I can go, um, is there any way? Yeah. You can, you know? And I do find, I don't know if you find this when you work, I do find there is a, a real difference in actors who have done theatre and actors who haven't. I really find a real difference because there's a sort of feeling of if you've done it eight times a week, you're used to just getting on with it, getting changed in a corridor. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm, like yeah. a quick change of a shirt and you're back on and, and you're in a team, which is not just a team of actors. It's a whole crew of people putting something on. And, and I don't know if you always feel like you're in a team when you're in a film or a TV show because the, 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 there can be a, a separation even if just where you eat or where you lie down between the crew and an actor you know yeah and uh and i do feel a, a real difference you know hugh jackman for example is now just goes oh what, yeah what do you need mate right yeah whatever let's do it oh this would be great oh this would be great fun you know what we should do we should do this and right. you're like ah oh, that's what you know and so there i do find a sort of difference in that respect when you started Way back, you quite early on, you were writing your own stuff, weren't you? You met Ruth Jones on, uh, yeah. Well, the Gavin and Stacey's the first thing Ruth or I had, had ever, yeah. Written. But you were still young, uh, yes. I I suppose so. I didn't feel young at the time, but then I've never been aware of how young I am, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, and were you writing because you knew you could write and it was something you wanted to do, or were you writing because you wanted to create an opportunity for yourself? I was wrong, well. I had no idea if I would be able to write. I still don't even really know if I can. I think you've got to write a lot more than I've written to class yourself as a writer, I think. But it came about really because at the time I was in The History Boys, I had done a, a film with Shane Meadows. I'd done a, a, a Mike Lee film. Uh, and I was in a TV series on ITV called Fat Friends, which I, I, it had been quite well received. Um, and now I was in this play, which was the, which was the play to see. Sure, the history you know, boys, unquestionably, yeah. it was the it was the play at that moment that everybody wanted to see. And I was in this play with seven other boys who were a similar age, at a kind of similar place in our careers, mm -hmm. and pretty much every day, three or four of these boys would come in with, like, this mass of film scripts under their arm. Ah. Uh. And they would be like... I remember, actually, one very specific day where Russell Tovey, who was in the play, yeah. and uh, Andrew Knott, who was in the play, were... Um, and myself had all been told about this script, which was just the hottest script, man, about... And it, it was a good idea, about two, two lads who went travelling on a year's break and ended up being, like, convicted falsely of a crime in Thailand. Okay. And they were looking for two boys of, like, 21, 22-ish. And I was like, oh, my God, we were talking about it. And, like, yeah, did you hear? Yeah, I got that call. Oh, my God. Well, you know, oh, there's three of us. That's awkward. There's only two parts, you know. And they both got sent the script. And I got sent just uh, two pages to play a news agent uh. at the start of this film. And I and, and I really, really felt like, it felt like people were going, I don't know, we think you're quite good. It's just because what you look like. Just if you're, if you're big, like, it's funny. It's a funny world, entertainment. Like, if you're big, like, big people don't... If you only watch television... Mm. Or films. If an alien came back and they had to take a reading on planet Earth by just watching films or TV, they would imagine that if you are chubby or fat or big, you uh, you never really fall in love. You never have sex. Certainly no one really ever finds you attractive. You'll be good friends with people who are attractive and you'll often be a really great sort of sense of comfort to them and, and perhaps you'll chip in with the odd joke every now now and then. As you get older, you'll probably play a... You'll be a judge <laughs> in something or you'll be dropping off a television to a handsome person in a sitcom. And that's really how it can feel. And I was like... And it felt like... 
it felt like it felt like if if the world of entertainment was a big banquet table that the people were like oh no no there isn't a seat for you here but uh, this guy could come on up and we'll see if you know and then I, and I was like well if that's not going to if that's not going to happen then I'm going to just try and make something happen for myself I'll just mm. try and and then I got to and then I was shooting this TV show with with Ruth Fat Friends mm-hmm. you know uh, and although if they came back and watched that show, they'd see all of those things. So yeah. perhaps I'm kind of kind of being disparaging, but you know that's just how it felt but at that time. You say that because then you do write Gavin and Stacey, mm. and you don't write yourself the lead part. You write yourself the the best mate part. Yeah. What? So what was going on there? Well, because we won. Well, we just thought it was funnier, and and also you thought it was a better st- part. Well, also they still had a depth of character to them. Like, of course. Essentially, the show's called Gavin and Stacey, but there's. There's four leads, if not, there might be seven leads. Yeah. Really, you know, we we wanted to create a true ensemble, and we called it Gavin and Stacey because uh, it was based around the idea of the show was when two people decide that they want to spend the rest of their lives together, there is an, a ripple effect that changes, however small that ripple might be or big, changes lots of people's lives because of a decision that their hearts have made, you know? That was the sort of jump mm. off for the for the show as a series, really. But it came about because I, I had a girlfriend who was from Barry in Wales at the time and we went to a wedding and I didn't really know that many people at this wedding. And it was a wedding where you sort of... It was in like a, a sort of community hall kind of thing and there was like tables for a dinner and then you went out to a bar and they moved the tables away and it became a sort of dance floor. And because of the way that it was, it had a, a partition in the middle, which they'd folded back. So if you stood at the back of the hall, it really looked like a proscenium arch of a theatre. And like weddings are strange days where they're long. Mm. Lots of people are there and they're all there for this sort of, for this same reason. However, disconnected some of the dots might be you know from people like myself who had met the bride and groom once but my girlfriend was a cousin to people who have been invested in this wedding for a year you know and I remember watching it and thinking no one's ever really done a wedding like this on tv where essentially nothing happens but all life is here Mm. it's all happening and this is a day we've all had and I remember talking to Ruth about this in the bar at one point and I was like, and, and I don't know, I think we were both going, that would make a really good TV show, actually. And then Ruth, because she's the greatest person on earth, and I'll fight any man who says that she isn't, she's just amazing. She's like, she is a brilliant writer and an unbelievable actress. And more And, and more than that, she's just like an incredible friend. And she just said, I think we should write this down. And this was coupled with like an Alan Bennett when we were in rehearsals at the History Boys that said, you know, some of these ideas you've got, you should write them down. You should write them down. Just make sure you write them down. Like that thing you said today that in that improvised, that was quite funny. Right, you should write, write that. It down, you should write James, it down, James. Write it down. Just write it down, James. It doesn't matter. Oh, ma'am. Oh, Alan. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, then, and then I was like, all right. And so we got together and we wrote this treatment um, for a one-off special, and uh, we'd written for ourselves really more than the actual thing we were trying to write—a backstory. Because the show was called "It's My Day," and it was a one-hour, one-off, right? Kind of loosely improvised uh, show about a wedding, and we put scenes in, and we had Uncle Bryn and all these people, and there's there's real chunks of dialogue from all of that that have ended up in the show. But for us, we'd written, we'd gone, well, we need to know who they are. So we'd written this backstory of who were they, who were their friends, who were their friends. So we'd written, you know, why had they not, why had their families perhaps not met very much and all this stuff. At the very last moment, Ruth went, do you think we should put the backstory in? And I went, yeah. If they read it, they read it. If they don't, it doesn't matter. But why not? At least it shows effort. <laughs> sure. I remember saying sure that. at least it shows effort. Uh-huh. And then uh, Stuart Murphy, who was the controller of BBC Three at the time, so we'd handed it in, and then I'd gone on the world tour of the History Boys, and 
he wrote an email which Ruth and I still talk about today where we just cannot understand how anyone could have a level of vision that he might have had at that time because we didn't, certainly. Where he said, uh, he sent an email saying, I really love this. Unfortunately, we don't have a slot for a one hour. A one-off hour is is sort of, there's no real point doing that on BBC Three. Mm. But I really like the backstory and I think you could make a series out of this. And he put on the email, which we both still got, I think we could make a series out of this. And if you decide to, I think it might be one of the best things BBC Three ever make. And we were like, that is an absurd level of confidence in something that we just hadn't even considered as a series. So we're like, all right. And then we finished the History Boys in September and we were going to go on a world tour and we wrote five episodes between September and December. And then I went off on this tour and I landed in New Zealand and Ruth had had a meeting at the BBC and she called me and I answered, I was like, what? And I just literally got off a plane because I'd had a text saying, call me, why aren't you calling me? Where are you? And then I answered the phone and she went, oh, James, we got a green light. And that was it. And then we, we knew that we were going to go to New York and do the play and then, you know, come back yeah. and sort of write this show, which no, no one could have ever imagined that it would have. Because it, it, it takes off. How soon after it went out did you realise you were penetrating the public consciousness well, with this? Well, it went out on BBC Three and it did well. I knew mm. it did well and it got reviewed well. And then the BBC were uh, incredible because they... Before we the second series went out, maybe a couple of months before that, they played the entire series on a Saturday night on BBC Two, from nine o'clock right. till yeah till eleven o'clock. They played the entire show, and we got this incredible stat that apparently it didn't lose a viewer. Um, and that was it really from that minute on. Then it became like, then it was comedy awards and then like BAFTAs and, 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 and then it felt like the show just, and then the BBC were like, would you do a special for BBC One at Christmas? And we were like, oh my God. This do is... you then think, now I'm the little boy standing on the chair, this is it. This is what I've been, does it feel like you've arrived somewhere? At well, no, because I was in quite a bit of turmoil at the time. I was going through some sort of quite sort of hard personal stuff. Like before Gavin and Stacey came out, the girlfriend who I was with, who I've been with for eight years, we broke up and and uh, I'd never really been on my own before. Right. And then I'd never really ever been um, moderately famous before. Sure. Uh, Which takes a bit of adjusting at the best of times. Well, it does. And it takes a lot of adjusting when you're the chubby kid for whom this was never supposed to happen. So I was, my my real memory of that time was like, series one was just a joy a joy series two was fun and then and then after that i just i just will forever be grateful to ruth really for grounding me and like you've got to keep making this show because then i made some stuff which really wasn't very good i mean it was it was it to, to, i mean it was shit to be right. clear i made some stuff which really wasn't great at all and uh and and so it was a strange time really Did you get to quite a bleak place yeah oh yeah 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 yeah, because, you know, when you've never been single, really, mm. you like, I had a girlfriend from when I was sort of 18, 19, through till this moment now. And we broke up before Gavin and Stacey came out. And then suddenly Gavin and Stacey comes out. And then you're, you're just, if, if you're in on your own, it's really sad. And if you're out, people are really telling you is you're great. Right. But then you realise that that's probably more damaging <laughs> than the other, and so yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's, it's look it's all of those those life things that happen in your twenties, thirties, which if you throw in a sort of a show like Gavin and Stacey, and and uh, and certainly a level of ownership that people sort of have around that that character, if you play a character, mm. which. You know, to this day, my wife, who's never really seen Gavin and Stacey, she's never watched an episode, is constantly taken aback by 
the level of like Smith. Oh yeah, Whoa, yeah. Let's get a beer. And you're like, I don't really drink beer. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It gives me a little gassy. And uh, <laughs> uh, 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 what? Oh, yeah, you do, you mug, ah, you know, and like, yeah. I love that they feel such an affection, but at the same time, it's sort of strange if you're with your children, yeah. you know? Yeah. But you came back from it, and you suddenly... Well, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, the weirdest thing, yeah, yeah, you come back from all of it, because you just, you realise you're in a race with nobody. Mm. You, you think you are, and you just spend all your time, particularly as an actor, I don't know if you've ever, I'll be gobsmacked if you haven't, if you have this thing where... You're sort of, you spend so long looking left and right. Oh my God, he's doing that. He's doing this. Why was I not seen for that part? Why was I not? That you were actually, you spend no time looking at the very thing in front of you, which is this career, which if you could tell your 10 year old self that this was your life, his head would explode. Yeah. But as actors, you're not really built to think about that. No. You're, you're, you're built to always be driving for the next thing because there's something weird happened in your life or my life or there's some unhinged thing that makes <laughs> us want to do this. And it's, it's not normal. None of it's normal. It's not normal to want to do any of this. Mm. It's, and I think as soon as you realise that and you just go, well, I've just got to uh, actually, you know, what, what really matters is just that happiness. Am I happy? Is this making me happy? Is it fulfilling me? And that's all that really matters. Am I fulfilled by this creatively? Am I both creatively and professionally and personally? Does this restock the, the well inside me? That's what the quest should be. That's what the pursuit should be. Mm. And, and just trying to find joy in all of it, you know. Can you see yourself living in California, though? I mean, could you... Forever? Could this be your life? No. Or is it... It's, I don't think it's, so. it's a temporary thing. I don't think so. I think... It's listen. I think it is a. a I think it's a wonderful place. Mm. I think it gets a bad rap from a lot of people, Doesn't and I it? think undeservedly. I agree. Um, I understand the bad rap if you've only been here for four days, mm. because it's not really a city. Mm. It's a collection of disparate towns, and you just have to find the town that you want to inhabit. But where you grew up, where I grew up, you grow up with the absolute notion of. Wherever you are, however small your town or big your city, it has a centre, it has uh -huh. a middle, and it works out from that. So I think as Brits or, or I imagine the majority of Europeans, you get here and go, well, where's the middle? And I work out from there. And you go, well, no, there isn't one really. There's barely even a fountain, you know. Um, <laughs> and But I think it is a, a, an incredible place to live. What I've realised is that home, home is just wherever those four people are my wife and those th the three children, because I've been here and they've been in London and this hasn't felt like home. And at the same time, I've been in London and they've been here and that hasn't felt like home either. Okay. So yeah. we'll, I, I'm interested, I'm intrigued to see where we end up. But I, it will be exciting either way, I think, yeah. Presumably, though, there's not an end point. You know, you'll just, life will just, as, you, as you've been saying, you could, if you just exist in the now, life will just keep happening and taking you I wherever so. it takes you. I'm, I'm, I, I do feel like... It's funny, Chris Evans said a really interesting thing on his BBC Two radio show when he said that he was stepping down. He said he realised he's a mountain climber. And when you get to the top of a mountain, if you stay there long enough, you just become a mountain observer and you observe other mountains. And he said, but I'm not an observer, I'm a climber and I've got to see if I can climb another one. And then he said a really lovely thing about his wife where he said, uh, he said, I, I want to thank my wife for giving me the certainty to have a little bit of uncertainty again. And I think that's a really interesting sort of thing. And, and, and I... Can you see the truth in that for yourself? Oh, for sure, yeah. Because I'm, I think, I, and also I'm, I'm well aware of how lucky I am to, to even have... Look, listen, it might not be my choice. I might get fired tomorrow. I really might. You know, you just don't know. Sure. But the truth of it is I, I do feel like I would love to have another adventure and see if there's just one more thing to create, you know? Like, I knew coming here to do this show that, good or bad, in success or failure, it was going to be a moment in my life mm. which would open a door to, to the next path, you know? I knew that. And I was so certain of its failure. Like, we rented furniture for a year, right. genuinely, like, and not nice furniture. <laughs> you know, Jules, my wife was like, babe, can we just buy a sofa? I said, no, because if I get fired, there'll be nothing, that'll be depressing enough, but being fired, having a sofa, 
somehow felt more depressing to me. <laughs> so, uh, so it, we, I knew that this was a moment. I'm like, I didn't know that Gavin and Stacey was going to be a, a moment or a thing. And, and it wasn't. And I didn't know the History Boys would be it. Or in fact, that's not true. I knew the History Boys would be it because I'd never done a play before. And then going to New York, one man, two governors. I was like, okay, well, this is a, this is a, this is a moment. This will be a thing which I'll look back on. And then, and I'm aware that this is one, and and and, and a sizable one, you know, at the moment. And we'll we'll see what, what's next, what's around the, the corner. I, I'm really. I'm excited to see it, but at the same time, I'm not really thinking about it that much. Mm. You know, we'll we'll just see where it goes. What the next sofa will be? Yeah, and that's that's kind of thrilling, you yeah. know. And if and look, there is an absolute world where I will look back and if I leave this show at some point, I know for a fact I will look back and go, "What an idiot! What were you doing? Why did you? Who leaves that? You know?" <laughs> but then at the same time. We'll we'll see, and look, I still have a long time to go on this contract, so we'll, we'll you know we'll 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 see. But like there's I say, a building over there with your head on it, yeah, I mean, it's quite a thing. Yeah, yeah. Although when that the when we that building with yeah. the, the huge billboard there, we'd been on the air a month. We'd been on the air. We'd done maybe twenty five shows. Like we'd done that carpool karaoke had gone out. Tom Hanks thing had gone out. Yeah. I, there's a shop next door called Air One and I went out to get a sandwich and I didn't have my pass and I came back in and they wouldn't let me in the building <laughs> because I didn't have a pass. And I was like, no, no, look at that. That's I was my like, head. I went, that's it. And the guy, I promise you, he turned, he looked at the billboard and went, yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is ludicrous. You know, but that's, you know, it's kind of nice to... Well, you got to stay grounded. Exactly. You? <laughs> I'll certainly do that. The security gates at CBS will ground anybody for sure. <laughs> James, I'm very aware you've got to make a show today and you've been very generous with oh, your this time. Is lovely. Thank I've you loved so every much second of it. Us. Thank you. Thank you. David Tennant does a podcast with is a something else and no mystery production. Produced and edited by James Deacon. Additional production from Chris Skinner, Steve Ackerman, Sarah Camlett, Josh Gibbs, Dave King, Joel Freeman and Georgia Tennant. Also from something else. How did we get here? with Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth, one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful, and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps.